The English translation of the term au pair is at par or equal to, indicating that the relationship is intended to be one of equals. The au pair becomes a member of the family, albeit a temporary one, rather than a traditional domestic worker. Moving abroad can be extremely daunting. As an au pair, however, it shouldn't be quite as nerve-wracking. Au pairing is usually a positive experience for the au pair and the family hiring them. Au pairs have the opportunity to embrace a new culture, make friends, and gain independence. They might also improve their language skills if they're moving to a country where a foreign language is spoken. Au pairs are usually female, between the ages of 18 and 30. Families provide the au pair with a room, meals, and a small wage to spend in their spare time, usually in exchange for childcare and doing some household chores. It's an appealing way to spend a year if you're not sure what you want to do after school and you're interested in doing some traveling, or you just need some time out to do something completely different. It's also convenient, as once you're connected with a family, everything is organized in terms of accommodation and employment. Of course, it can also be a complete disaster. Inviting someone you've never met in person into your home has plenty of risks, as does moving to a different country and staying with a family you don't know. Any true crime fan knows all too well that appearances can be deceptive. In short, Au pairing requires a high level of trust from both parties. This is the story of a young woman whose experience as an au pair should have been rewarding and fulfilling, but it turned into a living nightmare, one she would not make it out of alive. I'm your host, Natalie, and this is Talk Murder With Me, Episode 13, Sophie Lyonnais, The Au Pair Murder. Before I get started, I just want to apologize for my butchering of French names in this episode. I'm doing my best, I promise. On September 20th, 2017, firefighters arrived at the residence of Sabrina Quidere and Wasim Maduni after receiving calls from concerned neighbors about a foul-smelling bonfire in the back garden of their flat in Southfields, southwest London. Their neighbors were right to be worried. The bonfire was on the verge of burning out of control. Maduni and Quidere stood nearby, cooking chicken on a barbecue. They did not appear to be concerned about the raging flames just feet away. Once the firefighters had gotten the blaze under control, they made a grisly discovery. When they asked Maduni what he was burning, he shrugged and calmly replied that it was the carcass of a sheep he had bought at Wimbledon Market. Bollocks, exclaimed Thomas Hunt, one of the first firefighters at the scene, when he heard Maduni's claim. Hunt was sure that he saw something else in the remnants of the bonfire, and it was far more sinister than animal remains. In fact, he could make out what he believed to be a charred human nose and fingers. When he began sifting through the ashes, he found blackened pieces of clothing and jewelry. It would turn out that Hunt's suspicions were correct. The remains on the bonfire were not those of a sheep at all, but rather those of Wasim Maduni and Sabrina Couder's 21-year-old French au pair, Sophie Lyonnais. 
Sophie Lyonnais was born on January 7, 1996, to Catherine Devalon and Patrick Lyonnais in the town of Troyes in northeast France. It's not clear when exactly, but at some point, Catherine and Patrick divorced, and Catherine married Stéphane Devalon, Sophie's stepfather. Despite the divorce, Sophie remained close with both of her parents. Sophie was quiet and gentle. She loved animals and dreamed of working with children. She liked playing the guitar, reading, and ice skating. Catherine, Sophie's mother, described her daughter as someone who hated suffering and injustice. She was passionate about preventing animal cruelty. Sophie was a selfless and generous person who was never particularly interested in material possessions. On finishing school, Sophie completed a vocational course in childcare. Shortly after, she was offered a position as an au pair in London. Compared with Troy, where Sophie grew up, which has a population of approximately 62,000 and looks like a town out of a fairy tale, London is a completely different world. This was no small feat for Sophie, who was described by her friends and family as very shy, reserved, and naive. But Sophie saw it as an adventure. Although she may have been a little apprehensive, it would be an excellent opportunity for her to spread her wings and get out of her comfort zone. It would also allow her to vastly improve her English. Furthermore, she would be working with children and gaining experience for her future career. In January 2016, shortly after her 20th birthday, a nervous but excited Sophie moved to London. Never could she have known of the horrors that awaited her. Sabrina Couder and Wasim Madouni, who went by Sam, were both French nationals living in Southfields in the borough of Wandsworth, southwest London. To make my life a little bit easier, I'm going to refer to them as Sabrina and Sam for the rest of this episode. Sabrina was born in Algeria in 1983 and moved to France as a child. At 19, she was manning a crepe stand at a funfair in the outskirts of Paris when she met 24-year-old Sam. Right away, Sam was entranced by her beauty and charm. He began pursuing her relentlessly and soon became wrapped around her little finger. Sabrina was manipulative and disloyal, cheating on Sam and regularly leaving him for other men. But she always returned to him and he took her back, no questions asked. In 2005, at the age of 22, Sabrina left France for London, ironically for a job as an au pair. Sam, who was 27 at this point, got a job in London as a financial analyst. Between Sam's job in finance and Sabrina going on to become a successful fashion designer and makeup artist, the pair did well for themselves. They had two children, although during my research I found very little information about them, other than that they were boys aged 8 and 4 at the time the story takes place. I believe one of the boys, if not both, were Sabrina's from a previous relationship. Neighbors described Sabrina and Sam as antisocial and odd. Sabrina always looked very glamorous and well-dressed, they said, but the couple were not friendly and were often inconsiderate of those living around them. 
They would leave garbage sitting on the street outside their home for days and block neighbors' driveways with their cars. At first, Sophie's experience as an au pair for Sabrina and Sam was a positive one. The children adored her, and she was in her element looking after them. She befriended other au pairs working in the area, of which there were many. On phone calls with her mother, Catherine, Sophie seemed happy and pleased with the way things were going. She got along with Sabrina, often chatting with her over cups of tea. Sabrina, a skilled makeup artist, even gave Sophie a makeover at one point. However, the initial phase in which Sophie was content and at ease in her new job would not last. It's difficult to tell exactly when things began to go downhill. Sabrina had an ex-boyfriend named Mark Walton, who I believe was the father of one of her sons. The hold this man had on Sabrina is truly baffling. Just bear with me on this part. It is relevant to this story. The band Boyzone was formed in 1993 by Irish music manager Louis Walsh. I personally remember him best for many evenings spent watching music talent show The X Factor. Evenings I will never get back. Mark Walton was one of the founding members of Boyzone, but was only in the band for about a year before being pushed out by other band members. The band went on to become very successful in the UK, but not with Mark Walton as a part of it. At the time this story takes place, Mark was living in Los Angeles. Mark and Sabrina were in a relationship from 2011 to 2013, during one of the many times Sabrina had broken up with Sam. Some months after Sophie arrived in London and began working as an au pair for Sabrina and Sam, Sabrina began exhibiting severely delusional behavior. Sabrina's delusion centered around an obsession with the idea that Sophie was colluding with Mark to do harm to her and her family, but Sophie had never met Mark in her life. I believe Sabrina's rage towards Mark stemmed from a bad breakup or perhaps a belief that he might get custody of their son. She would call him and accuse him of sexually abusing her cat, even though she did not have a cat. She also claimed he was using black magic on her and hiring a helicopter to fly over her home and spy on her. Police received more than 30 reports from Sabrina about Mark Walton, all of which were completely bogus. She was even given a caution for creating a fake Facebook profile and using it to harass Mark, mainly accusing him of being a pedophile. Sabrina accused Sophie of sleeping with Mark, being a pedophile, and a spy. She was convinced that Sophie was helping Mark to break into the home so that he could drug and sexually assault Sabrina, Sam, and the children. Sabrina and Sam suffered from the very rare psychological disorder known as folie de, the literal translation being madness of two or dual psychosis. It is a shared psychotic disorder in which the characteristic feature is transmission of delusions from the inducer, the primary patient, to another person who may share the inducer's delusions in entirety or in part. In this case, Sabrina was the inducer. 
Sabrina had previously been diagnosed with depression and borderline personality disorder. She manipulated Sam into sharing her delusions. Sam was always on board with anything Sabrina said or did, no matter how off the wall it was. In fact, he not only entertained her delusions, he fully embraced them. During a psychiatric assessment, Sam was found not to be suffering from any mental illnesses, although he believed wholeheartedly in Sabrina's accusations against Mark Walton. In the beginning, when Sabrina's violent behavior towards Sophie was just starting out, Sam would leave the flat and go for a walk instead of joining in the abuse. However, it was not long before he began participating, particularly after he became a part of Sabrina's fantastical stories, specifically that Sophie was planning to drug him so that Mark Walton could come to the home and sexually assault him. Several people from the community recalled seeing Sophie out and about in the months leading up to her murder. However, being very shy and not speaking much English, she did not speak to people she didn't know well. One such person who later spoke to the press about Sophie was Michael Cromer, who owned a fish and chip shop in the area and had previously spoken to Sabrina and Sam about the possibility of going into business together. Sophie would sometimes join the couple at his restaurant, but she barely spoke. She came in a few times on her own, clearly upset. Cromer asked her what was wrong, and she told him that her mother was ill. Addressing the question of why didn't she just leave her employer's home, Ruth Boskill, a chief prosecutor at the Crown Prosecution Service, said that Sophie had written and spoken to her family about leaving. However, it seemed likely that the pair manipulated and gained control over her. Given the intimidation, the bullying, and the behavior towards her, it's likely that she didn't feel able to leave, the prosecutor said. In April 2017, about 15 months into her employment, Catherine noticed her daughter seemed unhappy and fed up when they spoke on the phone. Sophie told her that she wanted to come home. While searching Sabrina and Sam's home after Sophie's murder, investigators never found her passport or the plane ticket her mother had bought for her. It was likely that they had been destroyed. On August 8, 2017, Catherine recalled her daughter crying and sounding disoriented during a phone call. At that point, Sophie was being beaten, no longer being paid, and being interrogated regularly. Sabrina and Sam were not letting her eat, and she had become extremely thin. In the final 12 days before her murder, Sophie was not allowed to leave the flat on Wimbledon Park Road at all. On September 20th, her body was discovered being burned in Sabrina and Sam's backyard. Two days later, Sabrina and Sam were charged with Sophie's murder. They both pleaded not guilty. The trial of Sam Maduni, now aged 40, and Sabrina Coudier, now aged 34, began in March 2018 at the Old Bailey in London. 
The pair admitted that they tried to dispose of Sophie's body. However, when it came to who was responsible for her murder, they both pointed the finger at the other. The prosecutor, Richard Horwell QC, told the jury of the horrific abuse Sophie endured in the final months of her life at the hands of her employers, whose motives were punishment and revenge against Mark Walton. Sophie was trapped in a domestic nightmare, Horwell said. Sabrina's accusations against Walton were pure fantasy, Horwell told the jury. As for Sam, he was a weak, submissive, and pliable individual who quote-unquote punched above his weight when it came to women, as was demonstrated in his relationship with Sabrina. Sophie's parents and stepfather traveled to London to attend the trial. Horwell spoke of how the naive and shy Sophie was unable to defend herself against a manipulative and abusive person like Sabrina Couder. Sophie was not only young, but also, we suggest, naive and particularly vulnerable, and this made her an easy target for abuse and exploitation, he said. They were easily able to break her down with their vicious and relentless interrogations, which involved beatings and holding her head underwater in the bathtub. Eventually, they forced Sophie to confirm that Sabrina's deranged accusations were true, that she was conspiring to help Mark Walton come to their home so he could drug them and sexually assault them. They threatened her with rape, violence, and prison if she did not confess. A video, taken on September 18, 2017, of Sophie quote-unquote confessing was shown to the jury. In the video, she is emaciated and looks completely broken. Shortly after the video was taken, Sophie was dead, Horwell said. He added, You will have seen the state of Sophie when she uttered the words that can be heard on that video clip, and whatever may be said about the final confession, it is anything but voluntary. Horwell described the defendant's actions as a campaign of intimidation, torture, and violence, which left the young woman crushed. These interrogations were recorded on the cell phones of Sabrina and Sam, more than eight hours of recordings were recovered. At trial, Horwell played sections of the interrogations to the jury. In one of the recordings from September 11th, nine days before Sophie was murdered, Sabrina was heard screaming at Sophie, You destroy everything. I was trying to find myself again. I pray to God not to make me touch you. I don't want to make my hands dirty. Before her body was thrown onto the bonfire, Sophie suffered, quote, significant violence at the hands of her employers, the prosecution told the jury. Her injuries included, but were not limited to, five broken ribs, a broken jaw, and a fractured sternum. In the end, Sabrina and Sam burned Sophie's body on a bonfire in their back garden in an attempt to cover up the murder. The fire was put out, and then the burnt debris was turned over with a spade to ensure that the fire had been fully extinguished. As the ash was turned, the remains of Sophie started to appear, Horwell said. Sabrina and Sam planned to tell people that Sophie had quit unexpectedly and returned to France. 
a home office pathologist, said at trial. The gender and age of the body was not clear at first, given how badly burned it was. The body was not even confirmed to be that of Sophie's until two weeks later, on October 3rd, when DNA tests came back. Due to how badly her body was burned, her ultimate cause of death was never determined. The three most likely causes were a blow to the head, strangulation, or drowning. Mark Walton flew from Los Angeles to London to testify against Sabrina. During his testimony, he said that he and Sabrina had been in a relationship for two years, and he had been very much in love with her. She was, however, extremely volatile and unpredictable. He could never predict when she would suddenly snap and start screaming at him. She would go from a softly spoken French accent, then she would flip, get very angry, very loud, and just not care where we were. She would go crazy over something trivial, he said. He hired several nannies, but she would always fire them, paranoid that they were stealing from her and flirting with him. We have heard that your name was referred to by Sabrina Couder before and after her arrest. Had you ever heard of Sophie Lyonnais? Never, Mark replied. Had you ever talked to her? Never. Had you ever communicated with her in any way? No way, never. The first time he had ever heard of Sophie was on September 21st, when the police in London contacted him about the murder, Mark told the court. At trial, Sabrina was represented by Ica Pert, QC, and Sam was represented by Orlando Paunal, QC. Sam's initial statement was that Sophie died by accident when he, quote, interrogated her in the bath. However, he retracted this, saying he only said it to protect Sabrina. In his new statement, which he released several days before the trial began, he said he was actually woken up by Sabrina, who told him that Sophie was, quote, not breathing. He got up and found her in the bath. As Sabrina told him, she was not breathing, he said. In Sabrina's defense statement, she said that Sophie died in her sleep. Sabrina's lawyer, Ica Pert, was still allowed to use Sam's initial statement against him in his defense of Sabrina. He says he forced her head underwater and held it there repeatedly. Mr. Maduni states he punched Miss Lyonnais in the face. Her head then went backwards and hit the tiles, and as a result, she slipped under the water and fell unconscious, Pert told the jury. He dragged her out and tried to resuscitate her, but was unsuccessful, he added. Orlando Paunal, Sam's attorney, attempted to cast doubt on the idea that Sophie's cause of death was drowning. He questioned the home office pathologist, who I mentioned earlier could not conclusively say how Sophie died, due to how badly her body was burned. You cannot say whether the cause of death was drowning. There were certainly appearances that might be consistent with that being the case, Paunal asked. Yes, the pathologist replied. On the possibility of strangulation, she agreed that there was no sign of damage to the voice box. She confirmed that it was impossible to say whether an injury was caused by a man or a woman.
Unsurprisingly, the defense was unsuccessful in convincing the jury of either defendant's innocence. On May 24, 2018, Sabrina Coudier and Usem Maduni were found guilty of murdering Sophie Lyonnais. Sophie's mother referred to Sabrina and Sam as self-obsessed monsters when speaking to the press after the pair were convicted. They starved, tortured, and broke her until she could no longer fight. They took away her dignity and finally her life, she added. Sabrina wrote an apology letter to Sophie and her family, which was read out during the sentencing hearing. It read, Dear Sophie, may peace be with you. First of all, I wish everyone, including Sophie, especially her parents and family who are suffering badly, to know how deeply sorry I am for what happened to Sophie. We shared many good times together, as well as pains, until things went terribly wrong and it ended up in this horrendous tragedy. I think of you every day and I am shocked and sad that you are not part of this world anymore. It feels like a horrible dream that I wish I could just wake up from. Every day I live with sadness and sorrow. I am suffering every day thinking of you and what happened to you that dreadful night. I only wish I could turn the clock back so that it never happened and you would still be alive and with us today. I will now live without hope and I can't ever imagine being happy again. I struggle every day and I am very disappointed in myself. Sophie, I wish things could have been different and I hope that you rest in peace with God. With deepest regret, Sabrina Coudier. The letter pissed me off for several reasons because it reads like a sympathy card she wrote to someone whose family member died of a horrible disease, not a letter she wrote to people whose family member she murdered. Where does she get off saying that she's so shocked? She was there, and she witnessed the whole thing. When she says, I will now live without hope and I can't ever imagine being happy again, to me, this just sounds like she's trying to make people feel sorry for her. And who writes, I wish things could have been different? It sounds like something you'd say to someone you've been dating, but you know it's not going to work out for some reason or another. Not someone that you've murdered. Honestly, I think a simple I'm sorry would have sufficed. In an attempt to get leniency for his client, Sabrina's lawyer told the judge that her actions were a result of delusions and personality disorders, which left her with, quote, irrational and completely overwhelming fear that Sophie was conspiring against her and her family with Mark Walton. He said Sabrina's behavior towards Sophie was, quote, entirely driven by Sabrina's mental illness in her desperation to obtain evidence of Mr. Walton's abuse. While Judge Nicholas Hilliard acknowledged that the couple were severely delusional, particularly Sabrina, who was the driving force, this was not a defense for their heinous treatment and eventual murder of their shy and vulnerable au pair. Looking straight at Sabrina and Sam, Judge Hilliard said, You were both involved in torturing Sophie in the bath in the lead-up to her death, in making her think she would drown unless she gave you information you wanted, which was not in her power to give, because it did not exist. The suffering and torture you put her through before her death was prolonged and without pity. 
Addressing Sabrina, he said that her motivations were to see Sophie and Mark Walton suffer for no justifiable reason. He finished by saying, I do not think you thought for one moment you were acting lawfully. I'm sure you knew the way you interrogated her was unacceptable in the extreme. On June 26, 2018, Sabrina and Sam were both sentenced to life in prison, with a minimum of 30 years. Both of them appealed their sentences in 2019, but they were rejected. Patrick Leonet, Sophie's father, said of his daughter, Sophie was so nurturing, she liked children and animals. She could not stand seeing others suffering, and it breaks my heart to know that she was abused until the end of her life. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please give me a 5-star rating and review on iTunes and subscribe wherever you're listening now. If you'd like to take your support further, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash talkmurder. The links to my social media accounts are in the show notes. You can follow me on Instagram to see photos from each case. If you'd like to get in touch, please email me at talkmurderwithme at gmail.com. Until next time, friends.